So what is the spot that you'd like to save? Save for my grandkids? I think I'll choose Unsta. It's a bay with mountains on both sides. There's really good surf. It's a sand bottom beach. It's just beautiful. You get like the sun coming around in the summer and now in the spring as well. You feel like you're surfing in Tahiti or something with the mountains and the green grass. But then, yeah, everyone's surfing in like six millimeter wetsuits, so it's a little bit different, I guess. But it, and it would be nice if X or my grandkids could experience the beach without it being full of trash. Hello, X. Hi X. Hello X. Um, Hello X. Hope you're doing good. Uh, I hope that we didn't screw up the earth too much. And I want to apologize for this. Hello X. Hello X. Hello X. I'm Anneli Stiberg. I'm Christine Sen. I'm Valentin Mantz. This episode is called Tavaha. Why is it called Tavaha? So Tavaha means Tavare Pohava. Take care of the ocean. Hashtag Tavaha is a campaign in Norway started by Vilma Havas of Nordic Ocean Watch, whom you heard talking about a beach in Lofoten she'd like to save for her future grandkids. That could be X. Nordic Ocean Watch hopes that Tavaha comes to mean something deeper to people, that it might come to be used as the Nordic Aloha. Quoting from their website, they say, Tavaha encompasses unity, understanding, and solidarity across borders, generations, and cultures. The ocean is what connects the world. It's always taken care of us, and we can't live without it. It's time we return the favor. You have probably noticed that there has been a lot of coverage around marine waste in the last year or two. Maybe you've seen images of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, or the contents of the stomach of a beached sperm whale, or about how scientists warn that if we don't clean up our act, there will be more plastic than fish in the sea by 2050. What's less talked about is what actions are being taken to fight against marine waste in general, and plastic in particular. Today we're going to focus on people in northern Norway who have taken the plunge and who need help from people like me and you. So we can go down here, we can jump here from the, from, from the bridge. So one couple will take half of the fjord from the left side. One couple will take dive from the other side. Okay, good. So five, four, three, two, one. My name is Vilma Havas, and uh, when I'm uh, not picking trash, I'm surfing or working at Salt or Nordic Ocean Watch. Salt is an independent consultant company focused on knowledge about and for the coast. We grew up next to the sea, so I guess I was very little when I first realized that it's nice to be in the water and by the, by the ocean. So we grew up sailing and windsurfing in Finland and then I moved to Australia when I was 19 and started surfing there and I started seeing a lot of trash because when you're a surfer you're also like the divers you're all the time in the water and you see everything very clearly and 
If the water quality is bad, it affects you very personally. So I could get like a rash from surfing because the water quality was so bad after like a heavy rainfall or something. And there would be a lot of plastic, so you could get like a plastic uh, foil on your face when you're duck diving. And it's, it just ruins everything for the surfer. So then um, I moved to Norway and um, started an organization called Nordic Ocean Watch. And since then I've just been picking up plastic, <laughs> I guess, and surfing. As the founder of Nordic Ocean Watch, Vilma has been raising awareness about plastic in the ocean for many years. I think it was maybe in the end of 2016 when I got contacted by Wilma Havas. She had the idea of making one of those whales made out of plastic found on the beaches and collected by divers. Yeah, so Valentin went out and made this seven meter whale that is over 22 feet out of car tires and fishing equipment recovered from the sea. This is standing in front of Polaria Arctic Science Center and Aquarium in Tromsø. And for those of you into playing with your phone, and I know you're out there, there is a secret augmented reality animation we embedded there of a whale being chased by a giant plastic bag. So Christine Valentin, you went to Lofoten last year in 2018. Nordic Ocean Watch had the idea of cleaning up one harbor in Lofoten. And Lofoten is an important place because it's highly prized for its supposedly pristine beauty. And it's one of the most visited tourist locations in northern Norway and maybe all of Norway. So Vilma contacted a local diving club. My name is Alexander Mevik. I'm from Kalluk. I'm not working for the moment, so I'm for the moment just picking trash and walking the dog around in my spare time. Okay, my name is Andreas Tarnos. I'm a medical doctor here in Lofoten, and this is basically what I do when I'm not doing this. My name is uh, Marius Magnussen. I'm from uh, Sjørdalen in Trøndelag. When I'm not diving, I work as an electrician in Svola. My name is Daniel Wisnowski. I came from Slovakia, but I live here in Norway for uh, the last seven years. When I'm not picking up the trash, then uh, I'm running the diving center in Balsta called Lufoten Diving. The idea behind the cleanup was that the divers were to pick up as much trash as they could from Nusfjord Harbor. This is a fantastically picturesque spot above the water, with loads of tourists snapping selfies against dramatic mountains. Vilma wanted to show people just how much junk was sitting under the water. Just the amount of stuff that they picked up, which was a lot, was only a little bit of what was actually there. And they had bicycles and car tires and radiators and lots of shoes and boots and gloves and plates and dishes, just every kind of garbage that you could imagine, all in a relatively small harbor. And this is where Ice Nine came in the picture. Vilma invited us to make a short film, which you can see on the Hello X YouTube channel and Facebook page. And we, of course, took the opportunity to talk to Vilma, the divers, and a scientist, Marta Larsen Har, working with Nordic Ocean Watch to map trash along the coastline and seafloor in several areas of northern Norway. 
More tires. Really? Yeah. Do you think you're more aware of the problems because you're divers? That you've like changed yeah, the way you, you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And also here in Lofoten, because there's a lot of storms, especially like in the autumn, you will see on the beaches there's so much trash after mm. storm. Mm. Yeah. And this is this trash usually from further out. Yeah. Mm. Fishing mm -hmm. boats and yeah. yeah. A lot of people think that uh, the trash from the fishing boats and from the fishing industry is just the fish and it's just the bones and stuff like that. But it's not. There is a lot of trash around here from the fishing industry. Mm. Used gloves and used uh, overalls. Overalls. Everything is going to the sea. So they throw it out uh, in the deep water. Mm. But anyway, because of the current, because of water movement, it is coming up to the shallow water as well. Mm. And you have ghost fishing. Where, you, where they lose the nets under the water, the nets just keep standing there. They just keep fishing all the time, so they are never taken up. So the fish are just in the nets and dying and nothing is done about it, so it's a total waste. As, as of today, like, I can see, to, to see it from the fisherman's perspective as well, like when you lose a net like that, what's he gonna do, jump in and get him himself? Yeah. Like, there should be a way for them to like, tell someone. But like you need special no divers for this. Yes. You need special equipment, you need yes. special boat. Like this recreational divers, they cannot do this. Has there been any dialogue with the fishermen? Yeah, there's. Um, we have some projects like Fishing for Litter, which is um, a project where fishermen can deliver marine litter for free in marinas mm -hmm. in different countries. And Norway is one of the countries who's involved in Fishing for Litter. And there we've noticed that at least the fishermen who are involved in that project, they're very concerned also. And they don't want to be a part of that culture where mm -hmm. fishermen actually ruin areas that are very important for them and also the fishermen in the future. One thing that's happening is also that they're trying to find wire with GPS because you can't just attach one GPS on a fishing net because it might be separated from the... The GPS might stay on the boat and the part that falls into the ocean yeah. might not have the GPS. So they're trying to create a wire with GPS signal throughout the net. So there's a lot of ways you can try and get the gear back. Still, I think that we talk a lot about fishermen and I think that the awareness about trash for fishermen has gotten way better. So I would guess that there's... There's a few who ruins it for the many, to yeah. put it that way. I and think so too. for what we've seen here these two days, definitely most of the trash comes from land. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, yes. no There's doubt. no doubt. So, from what the divers see, while fishing boats do dump significant amounts of trash in the sea, they say that most of what they find comes from land. In order to get a bigger and more precise picture of the problem, we spoke with a marine biologist from SALT who specializes in marine litter. My name is uh, Marte Larsenhov from the, uh, the south of Norway, close to Stavanger. I'm working primarily with marine litter, largely looking at beach litter, um, mapping, mitigation, cleanup efforts. For example, Holnogren, um, so the voluntary domain voluntary beach cleaning organization in Norway. So they cleaned about 400 tons. 400 tons? Okay, yeah. all over they, Norway. Yeah, 
this year, I think, uh, last year in 2017, I think they collected um, 1,200 tons. Mm. But they're covering, say, a few hundred kilometers of coastline. Right, like, which is nothing. Which is nothing. Like, so they're, they're collecting these huge amounts, and, there's, you know, and it's really, really impressive. At the same time, the area that they're covering is less than 1% of the total coastline of Norway. Right. Which just really highlights how... Much work there is. Much area that hasn't been explored, that hasn't been cleaned. And why is is plastic such a focus? It's because it's so persistent. It's because it doesn't go away. Like if you think, um, I mean, it takes hundreds of years to break down. So if you have 15 tons of plastic going into the water every single minute, and it takes hundreds of years to disappear. Is that how much is going in the water roughly every minute? Yeah. In the world? Yeah, it's quite disturbing. So 15 tons, Okay. I think if you do the math from the from the most mm. recent estimates, you're you're looking around that. And if you think about the fact that this doesn't disappear, right? Like you leave a plastic bag in your backyard in your compost heap, it's not going to decompose. It might, with like sunlight and, and you know, warmth and things, it will deteriorate. It can become sort of brittle, hard, it'll fragment. But the only thing that happens is it becomes smaller and smaller pieces. And you get what we call microplastic, right. which are small pieces of plastic like smaller than five millimeters and it doesn't go away it's still there it's just in smaller pieces so when you keep adding this plastic to the ocean every single minute of every single day and it takes hundreds of years for it to have any chance of disappearing you can imagine how much this accumulates right and which is why they've had these estimates of unless we act now we're going to have more plastic than fish by 2050 the sort of animals eating plastics and then basically becoming malnourished because they think they're full, but they're not. You know, they're not, well, maybe they're full, but there's no nutrition coming from, from this plastic and then potentially causing blockages and stuff is, is a concern. Mm-hmm. And these bits of plastic keeps being found in, like I said, study after study. You have, um, like, the whole food chain has been found to consume plastic. So... Is we as well? Are we have have they tested our contents? I don't think there's a whole lot of mostly people I don't know if anybody has done that. But for example, there was a study not that long ago that found that on average something like seventy to eighty percent of drinking water contains microplastics, which oh. means that you're getting it. If we eat, for example, mussels that are filter feeders that would filter out a lot of particles, there was a study in the Mediterranean um, a year or two ago, I think that estimated that people there consuming mussels probably also consumed about 11,000 plastic particles a year. So, yeah, if our food contains plastic, you know, at some point it's likely that we will as well. So I'm an omnivore, and this means that the possibility is that, for instance, X in 2068 may want to be an omnivore, but there may be a number of things that are crossed off. The list. Potentially including drinking water. So there's more and more plastic in food and water. And the million-dollar question is, what are we doing about it? How do we clean vast oceans full of trash? Vilma and the divers said they would need at least two weeks to clean up a small harbor. Marta works on teams that try to map coastal buildups of trash on land. And now they want to link this with underwater maps in adjacent areas. 
Not only will these maps help local and national cleanup efforts, analysis of a few well-mapped places may reveal underlying patterns that help predict where waste builds up. We want to be able to say, from the information they can gain from a map, can I tell where it's going to be most polluted? So we're out in the field, we're collecting a lot of data on litter density on, along the shoreline, and we are also measuring things like slope, like how steep is the beach? Is there a point at which the beach becomes so steep that the litter doesn't really stick? Right. You know, it sort of just rolls back out with the next wave, which the data that we have currently so that yes, there is. So that means you can then look at the map and she would do this through, you know, computerized maps and we sort of get our GIS data and we, you know, we sort of and computerize. And where are you doing this, mapping um, the beach? Currently we're doing it in Lofoten. That's this is a project between, a collaboration between SALT and Grid Arendal in, okay. uh, in southern Norway. And we, Arendal? Yeah. In, yeah, okay. Yeah. The very far end of yeah. Norway, yeah? And um, we did a pilot study last year. The whole of Lofoten or...? Vestvogei, Ostvogei, and Yimseya mm -hmm. sort of was our starting, you know, within an easy driving radius from here, basically, was our starting point for a pilot study last year, which looked at slope. So again, saying how steep is the beach? Can we come up with a cutoff value at which point the beach is so steep that it's probably not going to accumulate litter there? Because this is really useful, because then when you go in, into a map and you get out the, um, you know, the, the elevation data from the map, you can rule out, okay, there's no point in going to, you know, this whole right. area of coastline is probably too steep. There's no point trying to range, like, make the big effort of going out to give a big cleanup action here because there probably isn't going to be much litter. Starting now this spring, we're going to be getting more data and looking at more variables. So, for example, what is the, uh, what's the aspect of the beach? Like, which way is it facing? Is it south facing, north facing? Mm. How is this relative to the prevailing wind directions? Where do storms mostly come from? How um, close is it to a road or a city, a major fisheries, sort of potential sources of litter? So we're taking a lot more variables into consideration. What we'll end up with is this tool and service that we can offer for, say, municipalities or, or ones that, that want their coastline mapped for. Why would Trumse Kommune want their coastline mapped? What's the advantage for the people who live there? So the coastline is very long and convoluted and, and things like nobody is really going to start, you know, at one point and walk several hundred kilometers of coastline to figure out where we should go. So a lot of sort of volunteer beach cleanups tend to be in areas that are they get a lot of traffic that people know are, are polluted. It sort of depends on people seeing them. And of course it's easy to go to the and clean the sand beach that everybody goes that to, which of course you should do also. Of course you should do, but it might not be the most like it might not be the place where you get the most, you know, bang for your buck, so to speak, like where you do the biggest impact, where you remove the most litter. So we're sort of really interested in identifying these really heavily polluted places without having to go there by foot or boat. Marta is now linking up with Vilma and Nordic Ocean Watch to see how to get people involved in mapping trash in their local fjords using underwater drones with cameras. You basically have like an iPad with mm -hmm. that the drone communicates with and you have a little, um, you know, Xbox controller thing and you say yeah. it works. So it's fairly intuitive, it's fairly easy to work and it lets you get down there and see what's on the bottom and what's in the water and in general. I mean, you could use it for, um, you know, you're going whale watching or 
you know, to check out a kelp forest. You can use it for lots of things. But and this is something that a person who's enthusiastic, say, about photography or yes, something could potentially no, get. A bit like the drones, the, the air, the, yes. the flying drones with cameras, which are becoming extremely popular. Yes. And so hobbyists. They're still cheaper than a, than a full-frame digital SLR. It's, it's fabulous from like a, you know, a teaching learning sort of perspective to actually get out there and, and see what's going on underwater. It's hard for people to care about what they don't know, right, and what you don't see. And it's really engaging when you can get out there and sort of experience it yourself. And it's really fun sitting on the wharf or on a boat and being able to sort of send the drone down. You, you have your screen, you're going, oh, wow, that's down there. And, you know, like I saw... Um, it's like, oh, look at all the urchins, and there's, you know, the big kelp, and there's, a, there's fish, and, there's, and you get to sort of see this whole world that you don't see at all when you're just sitting on the dock, right? Like, you, you have no idea it's there, and then you realize that just, just over there are stones throw away, there's all this, like, it's teeming with life. So that's quite exciting to, uh, to be able to see. So there's potential here for having a lot of enthusiastic people that can go out and do some mapping and things, because mapping the seafloor takes a long time to film. <laughs> the ocean floor. Just take the Norwegian coastline, it's a very large puzzle. Um, yeah. If you sort of think the seafloor, even just close to shore, it's a, it's a very large puzzle and we get, you know, these couple of pieces here and there and it's very hard to get sort of the, the full picture of where we should be putting in our cleanup efforts and if we can put more of those puzzle pieces in, this will help. So these drones are an opportunity to help with this and to, to fill in these puzzle pieces. Here's a question. What could people do who are interested in this? Let's say they can go on a beach cleanup. They could get a drone if they were interested in that and start mapping, you know, from their fishing boats or something. But is there more to it? The single biggest thing that I think anyone can do to help the marine litter issue is reducing their plastic pollution, plastic consumption in general. Because everything we do in terms of removing is a drop in the bucket. It has been estimated that about a quarter of this, you know, plastic and waste that, that ends up finding its way to the ocean is actually waste that's been managed. So it's been collected, it's been brought to a landfill, and you think you've done your job because you put it in your recycling bin. And the garbage truck came and picked it up and took it away and you think that it's fine, I'm not contributing to the problem. But there have been estimates say that a quarter of waste that ends up in, in the ocean is How waste that... How does that, that happen? It... <sighs> That's very mysterious. A lot of things I mean, think Disconcerting, about... Disconcerting, um, in fact, I would say. It is say, slightly. Because I feel um, really good about recycling. <laughs> and think that it's actually 25%, one out of every four plastic bottles are actually... <laughs> this doesn't mean that it's a quarter of all the waste that we manage ends up on the, on the ocean. It means that a quarter of the waste that is in the ocean... A quarter of the... Oh, I see. Yeah. Is, but, but is coming from people who think... Yeah. That they are, are that they're helping, but if you say go it to in the a, proper way, if you know the stuff that that just litter that like you know is around the street in a city, getting sort of washed down the storm drains, you know it's the whole Finding mm -hmm. Nemo thing. Every drain leads to the ocean eventually, <laughs> right? And it, it sort of ends up finding its way out. So globally, about eighty percent of litter, marine litter, comes from land-based sources. Okay, 
So if as like a, an individual, you really want to make a difference, some of the, the most important things you can do are things like cut out single-use plastics. So, you know, quit the, the styrofoam coffee cups, quit the, the drinking straw, try to reduce your you know, shopping bags, bring your own. I am guessing that some of you listening now are already reducing disposable plastics in your life. Let us know what kind of things you're doing, what's working, and what's not working. For instance, just last week, I was wondering about trash bags, because I no longer get disposable bags from the supermarket, and mm, I'm trying out those uh, thin biodegradable bags. Or maybe you're sitting on the fence, uncertain how effective individual efforts might be. Do you have some ideas about how we might work collectively through government or other institutions? We want to hear from you. Send us a voice memo via email at hellox at ice-9.no. A regular email is okay, too. And don't forget to watch the Tavaha film to see the divers in action on HelloX YouTube channel and Facebook page. So that's it for the Tavaha episode of Hello X Podcast. Special thanks to Vilma Havas of Nordic Ocean Watch and Marta Larsenhor of Salt. Check out the Nordic Ocean Watch website to learn more about how to take better care of the sea, including opportunities to take part in citizen science projects. Thanks also to Lofoten Diving and the team of divers, including Daniel Wisnowski, Alexander Burns, Andreas Neverdahl, Damien Swick, Marius Magnussen, and Velat Horori. HelloX partners include Tromsø Municipality and the North Norwegian Art Museum, Fram, the High North Research Center for Climate and the Environment with its flagships, Sea Ice in the Arctic Ocean, Effects of Climate Change on Sea and Coastal Ecology, Effects of Climate Change on Terrestrial Ecosystems, Landscapes, and Indigenous Peoples. Hello X theme music is by Metatag on Hell Audio. Episode music by Theta Oregon on No Patience Records. And Tom Arthurs and Isambard Krustalyov on Not Applicable. Ice Nine is supported by Fram High North Research Center, the Norwegian Arts Council, Innovation Norway, and Koro Public Art Norway. Hello X is produced by Ice Nine with Christine Sin, Annalise Dieberg, and Valentin Mons. Associate producers include Marina Borovaya and Annika Vistrom. Sound mix by Nathaniel Gustin. Digital design by Ismet Bakhtiar. Story generator developed by Ferkel Industries. Instead of a bonus music track, we leave you today with Marta Larsenhor's message to X to be delivered 50 years from today. Derek's, I really hope that when you're watching this, that you are still able to come and visit our um, family home on Yimsaya in Lofoten, and that you can still experience the island the way that I'm experiencing it now. I hope sea level rise hasn't devoured the white sand beaches along the north shore I hope you can still hop in a boat and go out and experience the amazing um, Lofoten fishery every winter and that you can still go hiking 
and experiencing the peat bogs and the mountains on the island, that it's still as, uh, as pristine as it is today, still as full of berries and um, bird life, and that you can hear the ptarmigan in the mountains and watch the eagles fishing. <laughs> 